Hi, and welcome once again to What's the Damage companion show to the incredibly well-known and popular D&D real play show, Roll for Damage, 100% gluten-free now. So celiacs, it's for you too. Um, so on Friday, the Shields of Twilight continued their mission to track down uh, this mysterious and possibly dead friend of Lex's. Uh, Oriana and Ball left the Comforter Library to help their friends snoop around in a storage facility in search of clues. What they found, however, was trouble. Um, they didn't manage to finally steal that ledger, which was giving them so much trouble last time, um, and it led them straight into the treacherous jaws of death, or not death, because that got retconned. Um, a tough battle with some creepy brain-eating assholes left Quinn not dead, but badly cursed. Rushing to help their friend, the party stopped off at the Temple of Asmodeus, where Baltaim agreed to serve in return for staving off Quinn's death just a little bit longer. We'll be talking about that right now. Um, and then a little bit later, we'll be talking about the weird, wild, and non-standard D&D settings. As always, stick around after the stream for stuff and links and cool shit. I'm your host, Truth Benson, and this is What's the Damage? Welcome back. We've got two exciting guests for you today. We've got the effervescent Jacob plays Oriana, and we've got the absolutely fantastic Corey who plays Sinric. So guys, uh, you did a little bit of snooping, did a little bit of thievery, did a little bit of reading, um, did a little bit of not quite dying. What's the damage this time? I mean, what isn't the damage? That's a fair point. <laughs> Uh, let's see, we, we got, you know, now two people that have, you know, quote unquote, sold their soul. Um, but then again, would that beg the question, do they have a soul to sell? Can they get metaphysical? <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty sure Therizdune already owns that real estate. I'm yeah, yeah. Well, that was my point. But we got some good information out of everything, and you know we're we're on a good track, I think. Aside from a minor setback, really minor. I'm remembering something. I'm not sure if this is like in the D and D canon or a or a fairy tale, but re the concept of having multiple claims on a soul. Wasn't there a story somewhere where like some guy sold his soul to multiple parties, and then they just fought over it, and he was fine? Is that from something? It I feel like, like that would be like Hollywood. a fairy tale. Yeah, yeah that, that feels like a very Hollywood movie-ish kind of thing. Guy who sells his soul to multiple people and all that stuff. I could see that in like a movie where this guy is like, I'm just going to sell my soul because, you know, what's a soul? It's not like I can touch it. Sounds like a good Nicolas Cage movie, honestly. <laughs> you bite your tongue. <laughs> Get you ideas. Sure. You'll give him ideas. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, so you guys did a bunch of stuff, um, but Oriana and Baltim started off in the library where you had um, split from the party the previous, um, the previous episode. I was wondering, um, 
there didn't appear to be that much hesitation um, when Valtime and Orion were leaving again, but you weren't at the library very often. You did give up a quite um, valuable item to get in in the first place. Does Oriana regret like selling her rapier so cheaply for like a couple of hours, I think, overnight? Uh, if she had known that the party was going to basically how to word this nicely, uh, guilt tripper into making sure the party doesn't run into issues. She probably would have just stayed with the party, but it seemed like we weren't getting anywhere with this case. So for her, it's like, I don't really use this sword that much. They're not planning on leaving the city. They're not planning on doing anything drastic as far as I'm aware. I'm going to get a head start on this research because we have a buttload of research to do. So that was her kind of intent of going in. So had she known that, you know, by the end of dinner time, the party would have been uh, saying, hey, there's a chance we might be getting into some pretty deep trouble. Uh, can you guys come out? Then she probably wouldn't have gone in. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, yeah, so like, it, is that the reason why she slipped from party, thinking, well, nothing's happened so far, so nothing's going to happen for a little while longer? It didn't seem, yeah. I mean, it, it was just one of those things where it, it felt like, to her, everybody was kind of too many cooks in the kitchen in a way. We kept trying to come up with ideas and then saying, no, let's do this idea instead. No, let's do this idea instead. And it got to the point for her where the the shade she has been receiving um, from Perry and Quinn was not going unnoticed. And she just felt like maybe mm -hmm. they just need time away from me. Maybe if I get a head start on this research, I can bring something of value to the group. And, you know, and that's why she offered to not research her stuff. She wanted to see, hey, what do you guys want me to look into first? Because I'm going to get a head start on the research. Gotcha. Um, so sort of adjacent to the issues that we has been having with some members of the party. Um, Last episode saw Baltaim kind of like reaching out once again to Oriana being like, hey, if you need to talk to somebody, I'm here, um, which Oriana didn't really take him up on. Why doesn't she want to confide in Baltaim? Or is she just like not feeling it, especially with anyone? The more recent issues were I was not 100% clear on what Oriana would and wouldn't be able to say. So I didn't want to say things in character and have DM come in and say, oh, well, she can't actually say that. She would be prevented from saying that. You could so, ask what you could say, surely. That's actually what I can did. I after, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually what I did. So between the last session we had and the session before that, I sat down and talked with Serenity and tried to figure out, like, this is what she would want to say to people. How would I need to change this? And we talked about it and we figured that stuff out. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, none of that comes up because immediately we're running into problems. <laughs> so uh, she's willing to talk about it, um, at least with Baltaim. And she probably will once, you know. The, I mean, the you have to now. Baltaim is very involved. <laughs> yeah. Once the current emergency is taken care of, she's going to talk to him about it. So uh, be like, hey, here's low down on your new servitude <laughs> more or less i mean he's he's gonna be asked to do different things i think i don't think we're gonna i don't think it's a package deal um but uh i think we'll see yeah. you're gonna talk about your predicament using words that you can't use to talk about your predicament i kind of want to be around for that conversation <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i mean i assume you will be <laughs> happened on stream i mean i'm more or less she's just gonna say like hey i need to do this favor for them i promise to do it this is the favor can we can you help me get it done um yeah i mean that's all that's all she really wants to say mm -hmm. she wants to talk about the thing she can't talk about the the the, the deal uh, at least I don't think she can talk about Bal uh, the deal with Baltaim, even though Baltaim's now made one, but we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, um, I think we'll talk more about this later, but I do, I am curious, like, is Oriana hatching a plan for like getting around her gag order? Not entirely, not yet at least. Um, for her, it seems like she's mostly just being taught a lesson. Like, hey, not need... a test, perhaps. I, essentially, yeah, that's what she thinks it is. Um, a a sort of hey, nothing's free. You can't just you know get something for nothing. You need to be careful with your words because words are power. That was very much a, a clear motif throughout all of mm -hmm. um, the tenants and um, means of worship when it came to uh, what she was told at the temple. So whatever the test ends up being, she's aware that this is a test. She's aware that this isn't, you know, some power hungry asshole who wants to, you know, take full advantage of the fact that Oriana is now his thrall. She knows that he's trying to teach her a lesson and she's just trying to figure out both what the lesson is and how to learn from it. I think I know what the lesson is, but I'm not going to say. <laughs> I mean, I have um, my own theories, but. <laughs> uh, cool beans. But actually, um, speaking of um, the, the power of words and like Oriana thoughts about that, I thought it was nice to see her do like a little bit of lying and charming um, to that guard who she tripped and fell on to. Um, she doesn't seem to rely that much on her charismatic abilities, even though she is a bard. Um, is this something like she's hoping to practice more in the future or? Um, I, I would say it's more she hasn't been given the opportunity that much. Um, a lot of times when we've been faced with a situation that's of a social nature, um, at least pretty much since we left Zerithamar, it's been, we're kind of, we're, we're not in a position to talk ourselves out of this or, you know, be somewhat sneaky or deceptive with our wordplay here. Like one, one example that comes to mind was the incident after um, uh, the marketplace when the uh, Desert Rose was um, taking them in and she wanted to try and use her words to try and get the party out of trouble. But that wasn't really a situation where that would work. I mean, they killed people. You know, you can't talk your way out of that. Oh, they could have been bad people. You don't know. Asmodeus made me do it. <laughs> um, no, um, but that's when that was the last time we really had an opportunity to to do that. That wasn't specifically related to another character. Like theoretically, Oriana probably could have played up her charisma at the Jilra, but that was Perry's people, and she didn't want to step on Perry's toes in that instance. She wanted Perry mm -hmm. to be able to figure out what her journey is, what her um, goals are on her own. Um, and then, I mean, I, she's been trying to be charismatic in Zuma, um, failing <laughs> for the most part, uh, aside from Thank that God, one Brian. interaction with the guard, but um, yeah. that's when it mattered. It, it is when it mattered. That was when it mattered. Pretty clutch. Would you say that Orion now has a moral imperative as a, as a worshiper or follower of Asmodeus to talk? Be charming. She's, she's definitely going to try that more. Um, before this, she, I mean, she obviously had no clue what it meant to be a follower of him. And now that she knows that that's something that can be seen as sort of a, an expression of your worship is using your words and getting things to go your way or being a leader by using your your charisma and words and your voice to accomplish that she's definitely focusing more on that now so i i think whereas before she didn't always step up to the plate for that she's now going to be the one who steps up to the plate for that Cool. Well, looking forward to that and whatever trouble she gets in in the process. Wonderful trouble. Um, Just don't anyway. talk us out of any rewards. <laughs> talk don't us into bigger rewards. Yeah. 
Oh, did Dobby almost do that once? No, I, I did that. Oh, wait, wait, was yeah, that yeah. after you, um, after you saved the, the rich kid way back when? No, that was in, um, well, it, I don't think it was Cageboro yet. Um, it was the city before Zerithmar, um, mm. with the Ifrit and yeah. the lady who asked us to go save her daughter. Oh, right. Yeah. Yep. I remember that. Too noble for your own good. Um, so, speaking of Sinric, would he have really roofied that poor guy? I don't consider that roofing. I mean, that was a love potion. It would have been an infatuation. And after seeing the effects it had on Baltanim, or it had, like, no detrimental effects, I mean, it could be safely administered and then, like, watched until the guy was, you know, done. I mean, so, it, yeah, I don't think Cynric would have had much of a problem with that because, A, it wouldn't have hurt the guy, and yeah. B, it would have, you know, got our means to our ends. Yeah, I think um, we saw a little bit of a contrast between Cynric and some of the other characters during, like, the planning session for the whole um, giant ledger heist, <laughs> wherein Cynric was like, okay, let's steal it. Let's blow something up and cause a distraction. Let's use drugs. Everyone else is like, no. Well, could you classify a love potion as a drug? Yes. <laughs> it's not it like it's an illegal substance. You could buy it at the store openly. It wasn't like an illegal substance. I mean, aspirin's not illegal. Yeah. Still aspirin drugs. also doesn't get you high. But but talk about that contrast for a second, because Cynric, I feel like, was, was very, okay, well, here are some ways we can do this. They're not legal, technically, but... No, I mean, but, I mean, yeah, good doesn't necessarily mean legal, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, in a lot of cases, you can be a good character and do something bad for the sake of saving someone, not, like, necessarily murdering something, but in the case of what we did was stealing a tablet yeah i mean there was nothing too bad about that i mean I, obviously i wasn't the, yeah right okay. i wasn't recommending like blowing up an entire city block people included no, no, no. but you know maybe like a trash can outside of the store just you know a little trash can on fire yeah. yeah something to create you know a reason for someone to come outside if that makes sense yeah, no, I thought the contrast was actually between Sinric, um, like, proposing very standard D&D-S mischief, and everyone else being like, absolutely not, we are law-abiding citizens, we will not even pay this guy <laughs> for information. But, and the thing is, we're not even citizens, nor do we really understand the laws and customs of most of the places where we go. So in my head, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to work on a code and not necessarily what's lawful mm -hmm. because those laws can literally change from location to location. Like, True I mean, life. we were just in Cage Barrow. We murdered a bunch of people and got deputized. Now we're in a place. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, granted, that's an extreme, you know, case, but... Yeah, you probably wouldn't place. get deputized if you murder some people in the street here. No, no, but the situation is different than it was mm -hmm. in a city known for, you know, thievery and stuff like that. Yeah, to yeah, that was my. Okay, to be fair, C Cage Barrel also wasn't really we got deputized. It was more like we became civil servants. Not the same thing. We we were forced. Well, know, we, with we're enforcing the laws well, of the city while we're there yes but we're also if we're there and they need us to go do something that we need to go do it like you know hey we're out running low on food can you guys go get us more food i mean that's what deputies do too isn't it if not, not to really. do errands <laughs> i mean yeah but, i mean it's, very, it's all very wild west it's quite loosey-goosey <laughs> But yeah, that, that's kind of my prerogative as how I look at it. I mean, sometimes doing the right thing for a particular mission doesn't exactly coincide with doing a good thing. Yeah. Cool beans. Um, okay, awesome. Yeah, so then let's talk about 
the battle to come then since that followed quite that followed quite fast after the whole wandering around looking for um the proper storage unit thing um yeah so these bitches really wanted your brains let's hear about it i mean they had tentacles that, that was you know a thing um actually i don't the fight was an interesting one because I don't think any of the creatures individually were extremely like danger dangerous, but the mm -hmm. fact that they were smarter creatures and played to advantages was, you know, yeah, that that's what made them more dangerous. I mean, immediately disabling two of our party members just because they were sitting in the dark and preventing light sources from being active. I mean, that in itself reduced our numbers, reduced our viability. The fact that they had AOE-style magics, I mean, right there, that keeps us, you know, that that's addresses our issue of clumping up. So, you know, we're forced to spread out. And 1v1, some of these, those guys are a little bit tougher to handle. And then you had the mind control aspects. So it turned, you know, us against each other. It was more of a a fight to think about than actually like throw swords against. Mm -hmm. That complicated. I would agree with that. Yeah, it's um, I don't know if those were true illithids or not. DM hasn't given us any kind of indication if those are modified or anything. Uh, which is kind of a scary thing to think about, that we're at the point where we can fight four illithids. Because uh, there's, some, there's some nasty stuff at that kind of uh, level. I have a head in my bag, so one. I mean, we can find out. Yeah. I don't know. Do, does anybody have Speak With Dead anymore? Well, I mean, we I don't can think show Quinn... it to people. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we can, we can like, hey, do you know this is? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm, I can tell you right now. First thing we do when we get back into the library, weird tentacle-faced things. <laughs> Just hit I fancy mean, Google. It, yeah, it, like I said, I thought it was an inter interesting battle because, I mean, you're forced to look at your surroundings. I mean, just as simple as lighting a torch for like me and Campion goes a long way and i know campion used the spell you know to grant dark vision but it's one of those where it's like yeah you have to think about your environment around um yeah so it, it's it, it could have gone very badly i i don't think it went <coughs> great Sorry. but i don't think it went poorly either there, there are two things Sinric needs to be the best fighter possible. Goggles of night vision and wings of flying. <laughs> so I think uh, when, next time we find ourselves in a magic shop, we try and find one of those two things. Excuse me, can you make this man fly? <laughs> or, I mean, in the dark. I, I think this, this is more like the point of our group, like, kind of like... Um... <laughs> dynamic right now there are people that can have that capability and just a matter of allocating resources towards one another instead of towards selves that is one thing i've noticed about us for a while there we were doing pretty good on like spell prepping and talking to each other about what we would have available and what we should have available now everybody kind of just preps what they have want and all that kind of stuff Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, do, do, do. Okay. Yeah. So the battle went um, bad, but not that bad. Not as bad as it could have. Um, so after the retcon, which we'll probably go into more detail on Friday, um, Quinn is not dead, but is cursed and unconscious. Um, and you guys uh, rushed to the Temple of Asmodeus because that was closest and there was some kind of effect which was killing him, but they were able to um, to stop it, stay it, I believe, to stay it, it, to stay it temporarily while, to give you guys more time. Um, yeah, so like, Oriana, was the decision um, to like suggest the Temple of Asmodeus purely because it was right there or because it's kind of your home temple now or? Uh, it was right there. 
It was same district. Uh, if she knew where Bane's temple was, since, you know, she's realized now that Quinn has sort of changed sides, uh, <laughs> if you will, um, she would have recommended to take him there. But since at the time, especially since but this is before the retcon where he is dead, she's just thinking, we need that spell that we used on Sinric to prevent his body from getting any further decayed, because then there's going to be other problems on top of it. So that was the reason why. It was just, it's the closest place, and I, I honestly, I think the only temples Oriana really knows about in the city right now are uh, Torogs and Asmodeus. Those are the only two she's actually ever mm. been to, so for her, I mean, it was just a question of this is where I know we need to go. Yeah, It'll take hours to go to other districts, so even if you guys know of an, one that's another temple, it has to be in this district, or we're just not. We're going to have to carry a dead Quinn through a city. Yeah, or not dead. A dying Quinn. Well, now dying, yeah, yeah, but I mean, at the time, you know, I, I'm yeah. still... Well, it actually, makes, it actually still... makes more sense if he was actively dying. True, true, true. Yeah, it, it makes even more sense, even with the retcon, so... Yeah. Um, so, like, Oriana, like, brushing... Um, dying Quinn to the to the temple did she like was it just pure desperation or did she have like a plan in place for what she was going to use to persuade the priest or because obviously like it wouldn't be free it, obviously it wouldn't be it, it wouldn't be free and um her first thought was that he would just take it as uh, okay well now you know me more time so you know whatever the test ends up being it gets that much harder that's that was her thought at first and that's why she eventually said the uh the the phrase again mm. and then he said no and her thought was oh, he wants another person and at that point i'm pretty sure oriana couldn't warn everyone about what he wanted so she just kind of sat there realizing that she's fucked up she mm. you know she's put somebody else in the position that she is in now well apparently if you get a third one you get like your little punch card thing <laughs> I, I have i have no idea what dm meant with that and i'm equally parts excited and scared to try oh <laughs> um, i, I, I mean, thought it was pretty straightforward what she said but I, I mean i have a feeling i know what what she means i have a feeling if i get another person to uh to take my place essentially that i'm I, free to go i but... don't think it had anything to do with that i think it was if you get another per another one of us to join in that you know he has the ability to fix quinn that that was the buy-in mm -hmm. you know the the one favor was to stay it the the next one was to fix it potentially i mean that I, I could see it being that too but oriana knows no 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 yeah, yeah, sorry dm 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 has confirmed dm has confirmed i un i understand that and i i fucked that up but again this was coming from oriana was trying to just add on a little extra to hers, essentially what she considered a small favor for a small favor, not, she wasn't thinking a big favor for a big favor. And now that she knows that he would be willing to do it for someone else's service, she's hesitant to do that. Number one, because I, I don't think she can convince anyone left in the group to do it. And number two, because she knows that that's not what Quinn would want. Quinn would not want people selling their service for him. Plus, Oriana still, I think, does not fully know the um, the radius of her service or how, how big it is, what it encompasses exactly. She she, she does not vague. know. Yeah, she does not know that, and she's that's why she wasn't willing to put other people on the line. But as soon as Baltaim said, "Excuse me." What 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 can we do? <laughs> she knew it was she knew it was screwed, so she just yeah. couldn't do anything at that point. Yeah. So um, 
before we move on, I, I was wondering, sort of asked about um, Oriana's um, gag order and what she plans to do about that, but kind of like this whole, this whole bondage servitude thing, is she percolating a plan for getting out of this? And will the addition of one of her friends perhaps inspire her to do that more? Um, she, she's willing to do one or two more favors um almost as if like a penance so after the after the book is taken care of if it's if it's not a okay you've you've done what you need to do you're free to go now or whatever then she'd probably wait to see what the next thing asked is and at that point she would start formulating a plan um so in she's her buying her time a little bit she she knows this is a test of some kind She's trying to figure out what that test is. And if this ends up being a, a thing where like, she gets a feeling like three months down the line, brr, brr, hey, uh, can you uh, swing by Zuma, you know, and just- uh, Give me coffee she, real quick. She doesn't, yeah, she doesn't, want, she doesn't want to be stuck with this forever, um, but she's trying to figure out what is the test exactly. And she thinks what she has been asked to do so far has been part of that test. She was asked to perform music, which she said is what she does. Okay, so that's obviously leading into, we're not going to ask you to do anything terrible. Here's this really straightforward thing that you like to do that I want you to do for us. And then when she came back to do the favor the second time and she casually mentioned that uh, m maybe getting a book was not the best use of her talents. And he said, okay, sweep the floors. That's when she realized, yes, this is definitely a test and I am not doing this correctly. <laughs> I'm absolutely sure I know what the test is, but I'm not gonna say. Um... I have a feeling I know too, but. Well, what do you think it is? I, I think it's a test of her willingness to I have two ideas. Mm -hmm. One one is that this is just a test for her to see if she can learn what the tenants are and understand what they mean. Uh, so far, he's asked her to do things that are technically within her wheel of house to do. Be persuasive, use your music, things like that. Um, the other theory I have is that it's a test in that, hey, you need to find your own damn way out of this or I'm going to keep you on the hook for as long as I damn well please. Interesting. So whether that's find a way to trick him into letting her go or, you know, like I, I don't know what the specifics of that test would be other than just finding a way to get out of it. Well, I'm sure we'll all find out. <laughs> in the future. Um, awesome. And with that, we're going to move on to our topic for today, which is non-standard D&D settings. So things like sci-fi, steampunk, uh, on a boat, high seas, modern, like you name it. Um, this is kind of a little bit related to our topic from last week, which was horror in D&D, but sort of like broadens that. Um, so first question, have you guys like ever played in a game that had a non, like a non-high fantasy setting? When you say yes. like non-high fantasy, I mean you mean like not mundane classic. or like not like D and D realm. Just not not classic D and D. Not classic swords and sorcery. I I have I've done a modified um, Star Wars, like it still used the D and D rule book, but it was sort of flavor text to Star Wars, so like a lot of the spells were force powers and things like that. Um, I've also done a uh, pseudo-post-apocalyptic um, setting that was more of a one-shot. Wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> that, that was more on the DM. The DM was not a very good DM. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there, there was that, which was, again, still D&D &D rules, just in a more sci-fi-ish post-apocalypse setting. Like, instead of the Warforge being this animated piece of machinery with through magic and stuff, it was, no, just you're just a robot. 
You're just a robot. Yeah. You're an automaton. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. I know that. Yeah, I, I, I can't recall anything that wasn't, you know, considered like fantasy or, you know, science or, you know, stuff like that or the focus. Um, most of it's all been just like understanding, okay, this is magic, this is how it works, or mm -hmm. it's just a reflavoring of, you know, magic and, you know, this again is how it works. Yeah, I'd argue that um, that not all fantasy is necessarily high fantasy and not necessarily D&D-esque fantasy, which is very like, you know, yeah. sword, sword and sorcery fantasy, I, essentially. Yeah, I, I think the issue that I'm having there answering that is fantasy mm -hmm. is such a broad stroke term. True. But I do mean sword and sorcery, high fantasy. You got your classic dragons and stuff. Yeah. Dungeons and dragons. I mean, I, I think the closest thing to that was... Oh God, I'm gonna date myself here. Um, but <laughs> back in high school, when we converted um, pretty much like, uh, if you remember, Zoids into a no. like D and D setting, basically giant robots that you piloted, like animal. Oh robots. wait, is are those? No, wait. Is that an arcade game? No, no, it, it was like a Japanese kind of like uh, anime. Like Transformers? Um, manga. No, they didn't transform. They were just animals that you piloted. Like Pokemon? <laughs> no, they, they were like giant robot animals that, you know, uh, you sat in a cockpit and piloted. So like instead of a fireball, you would have cannon. And, you know, it, it was stuff like that. So, Fascinating. They yeah. remember hearing about Zoids in my childhood. So Never it, heard of Zoids. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we did stuff like that even when I was in high school. Um, and I'd say that would be the closest to like not fantasy as you're describing. Mm -hmm. That's interesting though. How do you actually like convert like Mecca into D and I mean, it was just a matter of like you you guess like okay, well, how much health would something have because it's giant made out of metal, um, mm -hmm. and then you just kind of like yeah. I mean, we were kids, so it's not like it was scientifically. You weren't like. You know, it's like, okay, well, this this weapon would kind of work like this ability, so this is, you know, the damage we use for it. Interesting. One thing I've always wanted to try was modern D&D, &D, which is yeah. it's the modern world and really just flavor text all the spells into, like, gadgets and things like that. Like, wizards are just, you know, programmers. intelligent programmers who hack computers and things like that. Um, artificers literally are just inventors who build their spells. I mean, it's basically what artificers already are, but without the concept of like magic and fantasy and just pure technology. Um, Cyberpunk almost. Kind of, yeah, yeah kind of. Cyberpunk and make a D&D. Wizards &D. Um, are essentially net runners at that point. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, so with like with modern settings in particular, how do you like how do you fit the mechanics of D and D around like a world where you have like the internet or cell phones or planes? Like you can travel much faster. You can look up anything at any point. So like, what's the point of an intelligence role? You can Google it. Um, like, how do you how do you make that D and D? Um, I mean, for me, I would, using that example, I would use an intelligence check to see how good of information you can find. I mean, if you think about like the real world, I, yeah, I could go to Google and search up, I don't know. It, sausage. Let, let's, let's just say, yeah. Let, Chicken sausage. Let's just say political facts. Right? I mean, that can, you can make a whole campaign off of like what's happened with politics in the last five, six years. But um like your intelligence check would be, hey, are you finding good resources? Are yeah. you finding things that are like super heavily biased towards one side or the other? So your intelligence check is how well you use like Boolean terms. Essentially, yeah. Or how well you can decipher fact from fiction. Mm. That too. Clever. So, I mean, um, at that point, you'd almost be using, well, I guess you would be using intelligence for intelligence, but like reading comprehension as opposed mm -hmm. to like an actual D and D skill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess when you put it that way, it's not that different than what you're doing in standard D and D. It's just a it little bit. It would be creative. an investigation check. Yeah. 
It's one of the beauties about D and D. It's the rule, the the basic rule mechanics are so simple that you can kind of apply them to anything. You just have to have an imaginative way to do it. Yeah, you just have to be a little bit creative. Um, so, kind of like jumping off of that, at what point? At what point does it stop being D and D and start being a completely different game using D and D mechanics? Does it ever? <laughs> I, I think uh, D and D again. I, I said this earlier as far as the terminology, but I think D and D can be painted in such a broad stroke that it refers less to the game and more the style of sitting around and rolling dice with your friends and you know telling a collective story and playing a collective game. Because I mean, of the big kind of things, you got D and D, you got Pathfinder, which is kind of the same thing. But most people that are not like in those groups just refer it to you know refer to all of it as like a broad spectrum D D or yes. role-playing game yeah mm -hmm. exactly the same argument uh, you know yeah I, I feel like if you're looking for like where does it technically stop being D D and start being something else when you start changing the rules up a bit and you know that sometimes that's required you know sometimes you want to do something like that but you could theoretically apply D D rules and mechanics to any setting you can apply it to prehistoric dinosaurs and things like that maybe your spells are you know supernaturalist supernatural-esque dinosaurs that spit fire or something I'll you know dinosaur yeah. Yeah. Uh, you could be summoners and you know summon different dinosaurs <laughs> that too that too i just want to be a velocilizard now with your little hat <laughs> Just have a little Velociraptor skull hat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fun times. Um, so have either of you like run something that was non-standard? I point back to the example I made earlier in high school with like the Zoids thing. I mean, that, that was um, very, yeah, it, it, it was interesting. It was fun. Um, <laughs> but stuff like that focused mainly on battles. It didn't focus a whole lot on like RP elements. So that that was the yes. difference there. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I was the one running the game for that Star Wars one I was talking about. I've heard about that one. I've heard it's extremely thorough. Well, there is an actual like uh, Star Wars tabletop D&D, &D, but the one I used basically, I just changed some of the skills to stuff that would apply to like Star Wars, like Oh, you made was piloting and things like that. Yeah, I, it was it was literally just I took the rules of D and D five E and I made them Star Warsy. Yeah, I mean you still get your base like check. So make you know like a deck save or a dex check or make you know this mm -hmm. make that. You just like reflavor tooltips, so to speak. Yep. For lack of better terms. Yeah, because I don't know somebody told me. Sorry, somebody did tell me about like a fan made. Star Wars D&D setting, which is just like apparently a work of art. I haven't looked at it myself, but mm, I'd have to I'm, look into that. That sounds like fun. I'm sure you can find like almost pre-built campaign modules for, mm -hmm. you know, just about like anything you want to do. I mean, they have, you know, all sorts of like Kickstarters for, you know, modules that exist outside of the D&D realm. I mean, even look at like critical role where it started you know outside of the dnd like realm of things but still kind of in that same fantasy so i mean yeah it had it had the vibes but it wasn't straight from the books as a work yeah. i feel like i feel like almost having some non-standard stuff is standard for dnd &D. You, you almost want to create that um yeah, it, it's telling a story. I mean, sometimes you have those weird zany moments, like mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, this dragon was invisible and following you through the streets and, you know, you accidentally walk into it and, you know, two episodes down the road, it's your friend and, you know, you're planning to get his children back that were kidnapped by, you know, a giant decomposing bear and yeah. Such a good side so, quest. <laughs> you know, you have that level of outlandishness that, you know, you, you create all the dynamic elements of storytelling, such as, you know, your, your reason as to why you're doing what you're doing, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's more fun when it's extremely more flavorful. It's silly. What do you think, Jake? Uh, I mean, I, I think D 
D&D in and of itself is just, it's meant to be a playground, you know? Here, here's the jungle gym. Here's what it looks like. You know, here's all the pieces that are constructed in a way for you to play on. You could, you could pretend you're going across the monkey bars over a lake of lava, or maybe it's, you know, just the ground. Um, the, the joy of D and D for me is that you can make it whatever you want. Um, and that's what I like about that as a module, as opposed to other modules I've tried where their rules are really more stuck in whatever setting that they're in. I, Interesting. Just want to also add to that. I mean, if I remember correctly, even the player's handbook for the rules, one of the, one of the things that states in there is that this is just a loose guideline as to the representation mm -hmm. of the game. So, I mean, you know, it, it, the rules themselves you know dictate that hey you know have fun create your setting do what you want to do if you want to be pirates that are sailing on a ship in space you know yeah. do it yeah although that can technically be considered a dnd you know in canon realm as well yeah isn't there so. a can isn't there canonically like a pirate captain who's an illithid who like has a space ship oh. I was thinking of uh, what's it called? Um, I can't remember the name of it, but there's like a, a way between realms in space where like mm -hmm. magic is really volatile and like, yeah, something about the souls of people who don't, you know, are not claimed by a deity get stuck into this area. Oh, no. and, yeah, so it's like really dark and twisted. Space purgatory. <laughs> More or less, you become right. like a wall for the boundaries of this area. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah. I actually didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> You got you got me. My my D and D canicity is very rough and rusty. Yeah, I, like I said, it, it was a pretty interesting thing I read up, but that that felt within the realm of D and D. But still, the concept is there. I mean, mm -hmm. even something you know, it's like I I want to say I think what captures the best like representation of what D and D should be, so to speak, actually isn't even a D and D game, but more or less the Treasure Hunter movie. Oh. So like the feel of what you get, what you know from that experience, I think is what you're looking for when you do something like D and D. You know, you're looking for that kind of like storytelling pacing. Mm -hmm. All that. Yep. D and D is all about the zaniness. Genuinely, it pretty much is. Um, cool beans. So, question with with the canonization in like vanilla vanilla D, D of stuff like artificers and guns and like warforged and certain kinds of like arcanotech um so where's the line these days between like vanilla D and D and steampunk is there a line is D, &D just steampunk now <laughs> i i don't think it's steampunk um I mean, it, it's hard to say there's a line. It, it depends on what you want to play. I mean, if you want to go play like an Adventure League campaign, you know, mm -hmm. Adventure League official rules, then, you know, you work within those parameters. But if that's if, if you want to play a game where, you know, there's light switches and you flip a switch and the light turns on, then, you know, play that game. I mean, I, the line is wherever you want to set it. I, I mean, I feel like, the brilliance of both a, a more like steampunk and more fantasy setting is that the ideas that you can have for one aren't necessarily exclusive. You just have to reskin them. Uh, taking like the, the light bulb, like turn, pulling a switch and turning on a light. What if you turn on a switch and that activates a light cantrip in a rock in the ceiling or whatever? You know, you can do things like that. So for me, um, the line is very much blurred between steampunk and D&D. Because in a way, steampunk kind of is fantasy. Um, it's, it's, I mean, if you look at like what steampunk, at least in my opinion, was originally, it's this sort of like Victorian England meets like excess, excessive industrial revolution like modern day technologies but industrial revolution style in victorian mm -hmm. england you know you you don't have a car you have a horse-drawn cart but the horse is a mechanical horse 
Um, it seems so complicated. Yeah, it, and that's kind of like what steampunk is to me. And for me, that's really just an offshoot of fantasy that has so much popularity. It's its own genre in a way. So, I mean, D&D and steampunk, I mean, just mesh them together. Why not? It's already laid the groundwork on some of the later modules with even like the Warforge and the Artific mm -hmm. Artificers and Eberron. Eberron is just D&D and steampunk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they had a baby. Yep. Um, and, and even then, I mean, even if you're just playing vanilla player's handbook D&D, like you could reskin a wizard to be a technology user. Like easy enough like their their spell book is their like mechanics book on how they build their contraptions that are their spells so i think that'll work better with like a prepared spell class in all honesty but yeah the concept is still there because it's like then you're using that book to like create quote unquote your spells like you know mm -hmm. artificers in that case where you, you have like these injectors that you can apply to heal I your you know yeah yeah exactly yeah you, yeah i mean I, if you just marry the wizard with the artificer you kind of have a steampunk wizard essentially wizardificer yeah <laughs> i wasn't sure if that was going to work as i was saying it but it worked it worked um so What's like one non-standard setting that you really want to see a game in? Something a little bit out of the ordinary. Gosh, um, I would love, this would be difficult because it doesn't really make sense with the mechanics of D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. I would love to see a superhero D&D. &D. Like it I know there's superheroes. It, it, it's not that it doesn't not work, but I'm like thinking like, okay, well, what if your superpower is flying? Well, in D&D, flying is super broken, so it would have mm -hmm. to be that you have the flight spell or an item that allows you to fly is, is essentially the equivalent. But, like, how does that work at low levels? Like, you can't just fly at low levels. You can so be an Aarakocra. I, I guess you could. Yeah. You, you could just be a reskinned Aarakocra, I, I guess, yeah. Have, like, a jetpack instead or something. I don't know. Or just have wings, you know, maybe your superpowers that you have wings. It's yeah, if you're playing a setting like that, you might as well just uh, if your superpowers flying, just give it a fly speed. You know, you don't have to reskin a race. I mean, you can just add if that's what it's doing. Yeah, I suppose you could. Makes balancing it a little bit harder, I think, though. True, true. I mean, I, I, I would rather want to see like um, going back to like a Final Fantasy VI type setting where, you know, it's like the Warring Kingdom route with the giant airships that you see flying around and, you know, the different like uh, quote unquote like dark realms, so to speak, you know, stuff like that. You know, interesting. give it kind of like a nice twist. It's like, okay, well, I've seen this city. Now, what does this city look like on the other side? So, it, things of that nature cool something um, about riding in a you know giant airship across you know everything yeah it's like exhilarating you look down at it you're like oh you hear the the like the wind going past your i just like i like ships and planes and stuff that's cool yeah. um i remember in serenity's game that she did for um for us this was before she ran this game um corey not for you for me and jake um did she have she had airships. So I remember we um, got to, or my character at least got to the original um, city that we started in, in like a blimp slash airship slash something or other. Am I remembering that wrong? There are airships in this campaign? Yeah, we we saw a. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. We also saw one in Dash, I think, too. But they weren't. Yeah, so far we're not like seeing him Dobby, travel. Dobby wanted, Dobby wanted to steal one. Yeah. <laughs> you should have let him. I mean, we might at some point. Steal one. You never know. Okay. Sounds like fun. Um, okay, cool. So, sort of like going back to what Jake was saying a little bit. You were saying, um, so what what like settings do you think would be particularly challenging to reskin or to adapt to like the D&D &D mechanics? 
Uh, I used it as an example earlier, but prehistoric D&D might be a little bit tough. Like, how do you use magic if you're doing dinosaurs? So you would have to still have, like, that sort of hot con- high fantasy concept, but prehistoric. Um, you know, maybe instead of a staff, you, you're, or maybe instead of a wizard, you're more of a shaman who commands the power of the elements or something like that. Um find like precious gems on the ground that you know act as scrolls for spells so like they have power stored inside like you know rubies and stuff like that yeah um another one that i i i would love to see but would also be really hard um as ironic as it is would be like a high sci-fi um You know, at some point you have to figure out, okay, well, if we have lasers, it's like, what's the point of an armor class? Like, that's just going to right through you. So then you have to, like, well, AC's oh, also no, it might be more dodging. Yeah, true, I mean, that, that just doesn't, like, yeah, you're I, I meant more like space it. lasers and things yeah. like that that just, like, blow up cities and things, but, um, I, I think, you know... Oh, I just thought of something that would be really cool. Warhammer 40k d and I mean, they kind of have, like, that, so to speak. I mean, with with that scene with all the minis and everything. I mean... Well, I, I mean, yeah, but, like, I'm thinking more of, like, actual, like, a D&D style. Not, not massive armies, but, like, a, a platoon of mismatched soldiers you know, being sort of soldiers of fortune in that universe. Yeah. So I was thinking something along the lines of like, you know, like an outlaw star style campaign. Um, Again, dating myself there, but, you know, it's like instead of visiting cities, you're visiting planets to accomplish things. Um, And you have the complication as to you're pretty much traveling in an environment that if anything goes wrong, you're dead. And you're doing that more often than you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I feel like the mechanics for that would be similar to having like an on the seas campaign. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're in a boat either way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. It's just, you know, in a boat, you don't die right away, whereas in space, you're pretty much like gone. Yeah, you got like 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, unless you're a tardigrade, in which case you can last for a few years. Um, fun science facts. Okay, let's see. Okay, so completely forgot. Oh, okay. Um, so like going off of the style of the sci-fi concept of like having um, more of a sci-fi or even a modern, um, even a modern world campaign. Um, can you do like a mundane campaign because like a non-magical campaign because like in sci-fi there's no magic in real life there's no magic but D&D mechanics are so very tied towards the concept of like magic and things like that like can you can you tweak that the right way can you reskin it that hard um for the martial classes fairly easily I feel like I mean that just comes down to like our barbarians rage mechanic is just you're you're you know how to access that fight or flight response on a dime. Steroids. Eh, maybe, maybe not. Um, <laughs> um, magic becomes a little bit trickier, especially if you're saying like no high technology. Um, you know, no orb of instant blowing up or whatever. You know, no grenades or thing. You know, I mean, I mean you could you could reskin. You could reskin a, a fireball as a grenade, I suppose. Um, but it does get a little more difficult, just the reskinning of it, if you if you say no high technology. Like, no, oh, I can hack the system and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, you can even argue a spell like fireball would be more applicable to, like, a Molotov cocktail than a grenade. Um, mm-hmm. In the sense of how, you know, the, the distance that it covers and, you know, the space that it affects. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it, you can get around that with, you know, without like saying high technology, so to speak, but it becomes a lot more complicated um, in that regard. I, part, I, I think, you know, part of the cool aspect and fun aspect of D&D, it might just be embracing those magical aspects. And, you know, if you have magic in a modern setting, 
so be it. I mean, you can explain it in like, you know, a, a, a modern way, like instead of shooting a fireball from your hand, you throw a bottle with a cloth in it. Mm-hmm. And of course, mod, um, urban fantasy is its own genre. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Neat. Okay. Um, well, that's our time. Does anyone have any closing thoughts? Play what you want to play. Set mm-hmm. the line where you want to set it and have fun. If you want to be a giant, if you want to be a giant robot dog, be a giant robot dog. If you want to, you know, shoot lasers from your eye and, you know, that's your Eldridge blast, you know, you do you. That's really cool. I kind of want there to be like an X-Man setting now. (laughs) Yeah, mutations that that's your, you know, class, your magic and stuff like that. Cool beans. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Um, Another beautiful Tuesday evening. Um, Everybody who's watching, make sure to tune in next week for more interviews, more stuff, um, more recaps, more nerding out. Tune in on Friday to see what happens um, now that Quinn's not dead um, and everybody's in a little bit of a pickle. Uh, Check out our Twitter, check out our store. We still got t-shirts and mugs and stuff. Check out our, um, our YouTube channel. We have all of our old episodes archived over there. And um, oh, come to our Discord. Of course, we still have memes, and we're still very desperate to speak to anyone. We're so lonely. Um, <laughs> and have a great night. Thank you for watching. Bye. Adios. <laughs>